We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is Ironman champion Matt Poole. Here we are, the fairy tale story. Matt Poole has a moment now. Matt Poole is down that lead wave and he's on it on his own. He has won the Shannon Eckstein Ironman Classic in his final attempt. I just wanted to jump in and let you know that uh, we recorded this conversation with Matt just as the Commonwealth Games were being held. And I really wanted to leave in the conversation around the media and how they were treating Carl Chalmers at the time because I think it is really important um, conversation to have and to continue to have over the long term because at the end of the day, athletes are humans first and that's a really important thing for a lot of the young athletes coming through and certainly athletes who may be thinking about retirement. I hope you enjoy this chat with Matt Poole. Good, 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 crazy. Yeah. Have you been watching any of the Com Games or anything? I have, yeah. How about you? Little bit, little yeah. bits and pieces. It's been pretty interesting. I mean, the whole Carl Chalmers. How is that? It's uh, just like. It's really intense. It's, <laughs> it's annoying because they're not giving the media anything with mm. any of their quotes. They just literally consistently poke because they know that they obviously dated and there'd be like anything, a bit of hostility there or, or, or in some way, but like. They're not giving them anything or saying anything and they're obviously going on about their lives well. And yeah. it's just it's kind of shit to watch the media just it they're pushing him to a breaking point and I like I you can sort of see Kyle's close to snapping in some way or something yeah. like puts himself on a total media ban or he retires from swimming, worst case scenario. It's like what's their end game, the media, by keep pushing something that he either doesn't want to talk about or that he's not even going close to going to give them an answer. The, the, I mean, this is something that I find really interesting, right? Because obviously from the outside looking in, I'm like, oh, that just seems like a pretty intense response to this situation, obviously not being in that situation. I'm like, oh, that seems like, you know, maybe a bit of overkill to maybe retire from the sport because of this situation. But you're exactly right. Like there's not a story here. Like there's just not a story here. And it's obviously – gotten under his skin so much that it's impacting his mental health so like stop <laughs> exactly that's, stop. that's what's crazy to me it's like he's, he's same as you I was like oh I didn't even realize he was actually copying much at all so I was mm. like well that's a huge sort of um statement but obviously he's living and breathing it day in day out yeah. and it's far more than what sort of myself or you would be aware and then it, it just seems weird like in AFL and stuff like that Mm. I feel like the minute they say mental health, the media just backs right off. Yeah. But then as a swimmer, Kyle says mental health and they're just like, nah, keep pushing because he's either going to retire or like we'll get something really cool. We'll like, get something real juicy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, guys, he's a human. He's a human yeah. being. Yeah, totally. It's watch, isn't it? It is. It, it, it is. And, I mean, you're kind of living in that world a, a little bit now because your partner, I wasn't actually going to talk too much about it because I imagine it must be frustrating to have 
Tammy come up a lot, but like that social media stuff for you and what you do and what your partner does, it must be so frustrating because people can just write whatever the hell they want. Yeah, it's it's actually like so, so damaging, mm. so damaging. Like, And the worst part is that the, the part that frustrates me because obviously like me and Tammy are pretty like sort of out there open with our relationship mm. on like social media. It's very much exposed for people to like, comment, make remarks. Have judgments. Not have judgments. Whether And the thing that like, so obviously if we're having a fight or something's bad and people pick up on that on social media, they're just like these people that hide behind these ghost accounts. They're not real accounts. They're not real people. So you don't like the anonymity or anonymous sort of yeah. stuff behind <laughs> these people and they write the most like, horrendous sort of things and like mm. I have thick skin it doesn't sort of get to me but like you sort of I, I guess more so like there'd be some girls that would be so mentally fragile or judging themselves off image off other people and like totally. other like, girls that are in in that sort of similar line like Tammy's pretty thick skinned as well to a degree but like you know and she's sort of human but people like I think people think oh yeah she'd get a lot of slack and blah 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 but I don't I honestly don't think people would realize to the extent or to mm. the yeah how horrible it can be but like I said you go into these profiles and it's like you know it's pretty there's a common thread they've got zero posts they follow heaps no followers whatever some strange yeah it doesn't link to anyone or anywhere so it's just like somebody is just so like horrible or awful that they sit there and mm. they take time out of their day to go and just write things that I'm like I'm not even upset I'm just so shocked that anybody takes the time out of their day to anonymously write something like that to somebody else it's like what is going on in your life to think that that's normal or okay yeah I and I find that really fascinating too like who has that time and energy <laughs> to expend so negatively into the world and the catch on it is that they choose to follow you. Yeah. Like just if you don't, if I'm impacting you negatively, just don't follow. <laughs> like, if I didn't like someone, I just wouldn't follow them. Correct. So I never saw them. That's like a normal human response, but they actually go out to seek and engage this sort of, like sometimes, yeah, they'll literally write these absurd comments just to trigger other people and get like these, maybe it gets some, I don't know, attention. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe they're like those kids who were behaved badly so they could get attention in their <laughs> that You know, I'm just, I'm doing a child developmental psychology subject at the moment, so that's where I go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. No. Um, yes. But you've had you've had an exciting year, Matt. Like you you've retired, you've had a baby. I mean, obviously you haven't had a baby, but you've <laughs> brought a baby into the world. What is this year looked and felt like for you um it's been wild I guess for me I went sort of yeah 15 years racing straight in the Nutrifan Ironman series and in that time didn't miss one round so mentally and physically I was definitely wearing quite thin um I was just at the sort of end of my career like anything and um yeah like a a really good opportunity to work for Therabody came along and I'd already previously done some sort of ambassador work with them so I was familiar with the brand and the company and the product and yeah really liked it and um this was working within the beach space so basically all my 15 years of sort of like networks and connections and relationships that I'd built was going to sort of be utilized to then go and bring brand awareness and activate the 
you know, for everybody throughout these events. So I felt like it was a really cool opportunity and something that was um, perfectly suited for me. And yeah, so I, I literally got the job on, I got accepted for the job on like the Tuesday, which was leading up to the Nutrigrain Ironman series last round that Saturday, Sunday, and I retired on the Wednesday. So the next yeah. day called a sort of a retirement meeting and it was a little bit rushed, but it was obviously awesome. Maybe it was a bit of a shock factor for some, but for, for me, I know I've been thinking about it for a long time. So whilst the pulled it all together quite quick it was something that was sort of there and and when the opportunity came i was ready to make that call so yeah when when i made that call in february i got a really sort of i know people sort of talk about like you know the fairy tale in um finishing sport but i i pretty much believe that i i got the perfect sort of fairy tale so um the the last ever race in Nutrigrain Ironman series which was huge for me because that was kind of where I established myself as an Ironman was always my focus was always racing around in the sort of professional series so to speak versus the surf life saving carnival mm. side of things so Nutrigrain was a really cool weekend um we we're racing at Currow Beach the surf was massive and in my last ever race like I'd actually been sort of hit and miss all season and then in my last ever race I ended up getting into the eliminator round and getting into the final race. And then I was out in front leading with one other guy. So wow. it was, um, yeah, everyone was kind of almost laughing. They're like, he's been terrible all year. And now, yeah, he's, like, now. he's just pulled something out. What's going on? So I ended up, yeah, it was huge surf. And I ended up in the last leg catching a wave with um, Benny Carberry. And we had a sprint up the beach and he ended up beating me, which was kind of like a bittersweet sort of finish because I guess he's sort of that next young wave of, of mm. sort of competition. And I actually got him for the first half of the beach and then literally just like, it was like I just hit cement. <laughs> this old guy just hit like cement halfway up the, the beach and just stopped. He went flying past me. So I was really happy to, to get a second and, and it was probably one of the most exciting races of, of the series because it was the only one that was a sprint finish. Mm. And um, I had mom, dad, family, Tammy, all the kids and stuff. Everyone was there watching. So that was really cool. And then the next weekend was my last ever professional series race and that's the Shannon Eckstein Shore and Partners race, the Summer of Surf Round. Wow. And again, the surf was massive. And, um, yeah, I ended up getting the win that day. So... It was just like I mean, come on, like that is the fairy tale finish. <laughs> yeah, so like it, it kind of all unfolded perfectly. Like the weekend before, I was like, oh damn, second so close. But then the next weekend in the the summer of surf, Sean Partners race, I ended up getting the win, and and that I literally had my nana flew up from Sydney, my aunties, <laughs> uncles, everyone. So I I had like my immediate family there the weekend before but my, literally my um entire extended family flew up for for my last race and that wow. was the one i won so maybe i was just saving my last ever win for the last one that was it but do you kind of go mm, i won should i keep going <laughs> no not at all no I, I finished i was like that's it perfect yeah um yeah, it, it was really, really special. I'd probably say probably, yeah, the most up there top two or, or most special race of my entire career for sure. So that was kind of it for me. Once once that weekend was done, I was tapped out. I mean, I kept racing right for, for B&B Northcliffe. I raced right through to the Aussies and stuff. But mm. 
Um, as far as sort of Ironman races go, that was my last my last hurrah, I guess. So your role with Therabody, is that like a sales and marketing kind of role or is it what do you do with them? Well, it's actually a bit of a – so the, thing, the Therabody role actually has finished up. So I was working there for six months. Okay. And then, yeah, the last – as of probably two weeks ago, the US Global team made – a big chunk of our team redundant. So oh, that no. was a bit unfortunate. Yeah, that's tough. Um, in that five months that I was there, the, the Australian team are awesome. I, I learned so much from so many incredible people, all from really cool sort of backgrounds, all within the sort of extreme sports and sporting brands. So that was, it was a really good opportunity. And in, in such a short time, I was able to do so many incredible activations and things with Therabody. I was able to bring them through my sort of relationships. I put them in the WSL, the Red Bull Athlete Zone. Awesome. Um, we did activations at the SLSA Australian Titles, Mick Fanning's Charity Golf Day. We also did the Torian Pro, which was CrossFit semifinals. So I guess I, my, my role was community brand manager of Beach. And Fine. we also had a guy that was community brand manager of footy. So he did AFL and NRL, and I was basically anything beach related. So yeah, look, it, it was definitely sad to get let go. But that must feel weird. <laughs> like, it, was weird. it was weird because, because you, you of, got to decide when you finished your surf lifesaving, but then these, these they're like, nah, you're gone now. And you're like, oh, shit. That's exactly right. It was, um, I'm still sort of processing it a lot. The first week I was really, really angry and mm. mad. Um, but now I'm, I'm sort of, of it completely because it was such a good learning experience and opportunity that I don't regret ever doing it at all because I made so, I, I actually really did learn so much in such a short amount of time and I guess ultimately the biggest thing is and and from all the other guys that got sort of let go as well that I've spoken to since it was basically just sort of a, a global restructuring mm. from the US team and obviously the sort of easiest decision was for the Australian team just to sort of remove the little finger to save the hand sort of type thing. And yeah. it was just uh, we need to sort of restructure. And that was it because it wasn't a reflection of the good work we were doing down here in Australia. And there was, like I said, in sort of marketing or sports worlds to get activations or opportunities to work in events like WSL, Australian Championships or even CrossFit semifinals. It's expensive for yeah. sure. I was able to do that very, very cost effectively for the brand, for the business. So, yeah, I, I know truly that it wasn't sort of a reflection of the, the work and the, that I was able to do. It was just more like a, a business decision that had to be made. So, yeah, that kind of first in, first out mentality yeah. that business yeah. have. I, I actually, when I first retired, I was working with Channel 10 and they, went into their redundancy restructures. Like it was one of the first ever rounds of that. And I was one of the first to be like, go yeah. as well. You're like, oh, and, it's hurtful. And it's good though, like, because someday you'll look back and you'll go, that's that's a good sort of taste into the corporate world of life. Yes. Like you sort of said, that was what I couldn't process was I had oh, six to 12 months to basically plan that transition of life after sport or retiring from sport and going into my career. But then... I mean, there was obviously a few red flags and we were like, oh, God, there's going to be some big cuts or big changes and stuff. We did not expect it to be to that level mm -hmm. at all. It was a bit of a blindsiding. But like you were sort of saying, it was a really good introduction to like, this is business, this is the corporate world. And yeah. um, 
And it's not a yeah, reflection of you and what you can add in terms of the value that you have and the, you know, knowledge and experience and connections that you've obviously brought to to that role. But then how can you take what you've learned from Therabody into the next thing that you do? Exactly. And I actually I actually listened to Earl Evans's uh, a podcast from Earl Evans. He's the CEO of Shore and Partners. And it was incredible when he sort of talked about like he's a very, very successful businessman now. But he talked about in his earlier years in one of his first jobs, he got let go when he was doing really, really well at a company. Mm. And he sort of said, you don't let it sort of bring you down. You, you do definitely need to go, right, what can I do to be better? What did I learn? And how can I, like, next steps moving forward? Because I guess the biggest thing in life is if you're going to sit there and have a pity party and talk about, like, you know, whatever, mm. nobody's going to sort of feel sorry for that. You just need to sort of dust yourself off, go, how can I be better? Mm. Um, what did I learn from that? how can I take that into the next job and the next role? And, and yeah, where, where am I going from here? So, and that's kind of where I'm at. I've, I've had a few side projects actually that I've been trying to do the last two years and, and call it laziness and sort of time poor, I mm. guess, obviously I was still racing. And I was yeah, working you weren't really being lazy. <laughs> I had a pregnant fiance and, and there was a lot happening in the last sort of six months. I obviously put that on the back burner, but now this is an opportunity for me to go, right, this is your time and, and to, to sort of see that through and, and see where it goes and where it leads. I've actually got a meeting coming up a couple of hours after this with, with the guys to sort of see if we can make that business or that that, that feasible, I guess. So, Amazing. yeah, there's, there's definitely some exciting things happening and, and hopefully more to come. It's just, um, yeah to sit there and make the most of every opportunity. Does it daunt you though? Like because obviously – Coming from, you know, the Ironman series, you were one of the preeminent athletes in that event for many years. Like you've been doing it for 15 years, was it? Yeah, 15 years (laughs) in the Instagram series. That's a long time. It is when some of the kids racing in the series were like 18 years old and I was like, I was racing in this series when you were three. You were diapers. That was that was. Maybe that was the moment I knew I needed to get out. Um, but so, you know, you've obviously come from being one of the best in, in your field for a very, very long time. What does that feel like then to come into the business world where you obviously have knowledge, you have experiences, you have qualities that you've taken from sport, but then, you know, going into the business world where you're like, you're in office again. Mm. How does that yeah. feel for you in your body? It, um it's yeah it truly is terrifying as an athlete if I'm being if I'm being honest I'm I know every athlete's sort of journey or experiences for life after sport would be different but the biggest thing is and you'd know this from being a professional athlete to to a degree athletes pride themselves on being the best at everything and there is a lot of sort of ego and when you say at my age at 34 and you're going out and into a new job and most 34-year-olds have worked 15 years in a corporate company. They understand everything from developing strategies, brand management, developing proposals, things like that. And I was like, I've barely got an email account. (laughs) (laughs) My email account is still scooby underscore 444 at hotmail.com. Yeah, so I I always get laughed at because mine's still at hotmail.com. Everyone's like, you still use hotmail? (laughs) How old are you? Yeah, what do all the business people use? Like, I need a transition or something. <laughs> yeah, like you said, as an athlete, we did definitely learn um, incredible skills throughout our career that we would be so numb to. 
Mm. And a lot of them is, is networking, brand relationships. We're motivated. We're driven. We're very well at sort of building relationships and things like that. So that certainly can help. Like in, in there's a huge element of sales behind that. There's a huge element of sort of marketing behind that. Um, there's a lot of things you can be utilised for, mm. certainly. Um, so, but there's also the other side of things that just come second nature to, to people who have went straight from high school into university and then into a full-time job. They learn all those base fundamental skills of developing presentations, building decks, the pitching decks, things yeah. like that. And, that. and even the biggest thing is almost the lingo. Yes. Um, oh, my God, it's the lingo. <laughs> The lingo, there's all these like words about like, yeah, yeah oh, strategies and activations and, and resource allocation. <laughs> correct. And like you speak to these guys and you're like, oh, he's a, he's a smart guy. Like whether it be uh, at senior, mid or high, you know, executive level. And, but it's, it's literally just that language and the lingo that they talk. And, and that's what I was sort of really learning and starting to find was good. But the funny side of that was sometimes say you wanted to go into an event at WSL or get a, a contact in the NRL, like you wanted to get to Manly Seagulls, mm. the, some people like find that really difficult because they have to send a cold email to the club and then mm. get put into a high performance and then find out the, and then have that sort of communication where you've got to build a relationship before they even, you know, a, a lot of those guys sort of would just leave, leave an email unattended in, in, in an inbox, exactly, mm. in their Hotmail account like me. So. <laughs> but... Whereas I found like through years of being professional sport and like you know this, you met so many different athletes and sponsors and brands and been to so many different events, whether it was swimming or you might have been at running events, triathlon, surf life-saving and all these sorts of opportunities. And then when you, you go into a business like this, you're like, oh, I know so-and-so from Manly Seagulls Club. I can just call him and yeah. straight away you've got a foot in the door. And the biggest thing is like everyone sort of says is having that contact or that relationship or friendship with somebody to get yourself a foot in the door. Once you get a seat at the table, then you can sort of start your sales pitch. But, yeah. And that's what I find really interesting and I think that's – I reckon that's only something I've started to notice and develop in me like in the last maybe 18 months, maybe even only really specifically in the last six months. And something that I've really started to recognise now that my eldest has started school – the school community is like a wealth of networks and contacts. I'm like, ah, oh, I could start to tap into all of this for like business connections and, you know, introductions. And it's like you start to go, ah, oh, it's not just me. I can actually start to broaden my network. That's exactly it, yeah. There's, there's been a lot of sort of light bulb moments exactly that where – and that's what we were starting to sort of establish. Um, the guy that I was sort of working alongside, Pari, at um, Therabody is like, he came from that really good understanding of a commercial sort of business and marketing strategy. And I could sort of open doors and we were utilizing that and learning from each other, but yes. also he was teaching me and I was helping him a little bit. And exactly as you sort of said, it's like, you just need to find the right company and the right manager that sees your strengths and then helps you grow and learn into that, which is what my boss at everybody was really good at. She sort of because I would always sit there and freak out. She'd be like, oh, can you build me like a bit of a presentation for the thing? And she'd see my face just go white. Like, <laughs> like, like, oh, You'll God. be okay. You'll be okay. It's a learning experience and we're getting through this. I was, yeah, no, I, I think that side of sport or as an athlete, we become a little bit numb to it. We don't realise that we do actually know a lot more yes. uh, than what we, we're aware. 
because we don't know how to apply it most exactly. most often. We yeah. don't, like we yeah. have these incredible skills and connections and all of those sorts of things, but it's also asking people who, like for the most part, people want to help mm. <laughs> for the most part, yeah. you know, other than those jerks on social media who, you know, hide yeah. behind anonymous accounts. Most yeah. people want to actually help. Most people love that connection. Most people love to be able to lift each other up and it's just being able to ask the right questions in the right way. You, you hit the nail on the head. I found no shorter, shortage of friends that actually like Lance and I call and be very, very forthcoming in helping me with, with everything from, say, developing or polishing up my resume through to, like, job leads or even mm. job opportunities and things like that. Like, yeah, it, it is a bit of a... Again, we, we were a little bit sort of blindsided, but people sort of love speaking to athletes past and present. They're like, oh, Libby Trickett, that's awesome. Like people would be very, very welcoming to open doors and inch- and make that sort of um, connection for you and, and and even to help you learn and stuff mm. like that as well. People are very, well, I guess it's all to who you surround yourself with, but I, I definitely have some really, really good people that surround me and business mentors. Mick Spencer, um, I'm actually in the business with, with Gravity Seltzer. Yes. He's an incredible guy. Yeah, really, really smart guy. And he's been unreal at helping me. My manager, Reese, is really good. He's managed me for the last eight years now. He came from sort of Reebok background. Now he's doing athlete sports management. He's got, yeah, so like I've got some really incredible people around me that sort of are helping and molding and guiding me as well. So I'm very fortunate for that. Another one's definitely Earl Evans from Sean Partners, as I mentioned before. Very, very smart guy. And and he's done so much to support our sport through Summer Surf, um, supporting me personally. And he also does a lot of the Ocean Racing Series and stuff like that as well. Very generous guy. He's a sponsor of Manly Seagulls as well. So, yeah, people like that, it's exactly as you sort of said, knowing surrounding yourself in the right people and letting yourself just naturally sort of work out what you're good at, what can be better at, and then applying that to to businesses and jobs. And not being afraid to ask questions, right? Like, Yeah. I'm still really bad with that because I I just feel like, oh, that is the dumbest question. I know people say like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I am, but my questions are definitely (laughs) going to be the top five dumbest questions. At least. So what was it like for you um, writing a resume? Like was that was that weird? Yeah, super weird because I felt like as a resume, it's like, oh, am I applying for a sponsor because my resume is heavily weighted around 15 years of sporting results. So You're like, well, actually I won the Nutrigrains championship. Nutrigrains, yeah. Nutrigrain championship. Yeah. And they're like, oh, cool. How does that apply to my business? Like, well, do you like cereal? <laughs> I know how to pour it. Yeah. Yeah. So writing a resume is really, really difficult because it's such an uncomfortable thing for anybody, I guess, to to pump up your own tires. Like I would never want my friends to read my resume because they'd right? be like, oh. They'd be like, mate, you can't really do that. You like, are well. such a wanker. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So I'd be like. Yeah, it's um, it's a different sort of experience, but that's that's what it is, isn't it? Like, if you don't sell yourself, nobody else will. Yeah. So it's, it's the importance of of really breaking down everything that you've done. And and for me, like I said, I definitely had like an athlete buyer, which had a portion of you know my my highlight results and stuff. Mm. But I've also then gone into the other side of things that you would know about, like through your career, you've done. 
um, charity ambassador work. You would have done plenty of motivational speaking. Mm. You've worked with lots of brands on social campaigns and collaborations. So you're part of like a social media strategy or for digital, you know, collaborations with brands. So you might have worked with Samsung, Nike, Reebok, Red Bull, whatever it is, and you need to go and then sort of talk about, okay, I did, you know, I was part of a, yeah, marketing or digital strategy and things like that. So that's where I'm starting to, I'm still in the process of updating my resume or mm. trying to, I guess, just make it relevant to brands and, and expanding on that, but also keeping useful information. And, and it comes back to what I said before is we're kind of numb to a lot of the things that we just did as part of an athlete expectation, but there were so many things that we would have done through the time that are way outside of just racing and sport mm. and very much in the in that the businesses and companies would love to hear how you you know you might have been a part of a social collaboration that reached 200,000 people or 500,000 people or you did motivational speaking in front of the Olympic committee or something like that you know that so is, there is such valuable advice for a lot of athletes who might be in that retirement journey I know watching the Commonwealth Games there's a lot of athletes who are retiring now after the Commonwealth Games. So yeah, to like, to be able to break those experiences down, because like you said, you know, it's something that we just do as part of whatever it is that we do. So we don't actually look at it and go, what have I learned from that? Like what skills do I have, you know, public speaking skills or time management, organization, like what are these things that I can actually tangibly write down on my resume to go into life after sport? Totally. Yeah everything like nipper clinics, swim clinics, things like that as well. It's like a, your ability to, to address young kids, elder, you know, your, your age and instructing, guiding, teaching, learning, everything. So, um, yeah, I, I, as I said, I'm still sort of working on my resume at the moment. I'm just sort of playing around with it, getting it fine-tuned. But it, it is kind of cool to sort of reflect on that too and go, wow, like all business aside or whatever to say, because I think that's, like when we talked about before, when you do retire, you do feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be able to get a job. So for me, I finished high school at 18 mm. and I that year qualified into the New Japan Ironman series. So I moved from Sydney, went straight to the Gold Coast. I didn't go to university. I didn't do a trade. I didn't do any sort of a trade or, or courses. I, I basically put all my eggs in the one basket and said, right, this is sort of my dream, my goals, and I want to be a professional athlete. And I was able to to achieve that and to do that i did that for 15 years from yeah 18 19 through 34 so mm. but there was always i mean through most of my career i always had in the back of my mind like when when it's time to close the curtains and this is all done what am i going to do for life after sport i don't have you know a, a marketing or business degree from university or these sorts of things so it was very very daunting and it's only now that since i've retired that I have sort of stepped into that role with, with was with therapy and I said, wow, I am good at this. I'm not so good at this. I can work on yes. this. I'm improving here. And, and yeah, you do realize as an athlete that we do have a lot more sort of aces up our sleeve than what we realize. Mm. I have to ask, cause one of like the iconic things that I remember from you competing was your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this going to come up. <laughs> um, I mean, look, you're all very fit, so obviously that's that's always a, a, a thing that people would notice about you. But your hair, particularly, really stood out. How? I'm, I'm interested. Like two two questions around around your hair. 
because why not? What was that? Was that just you kind of expressing yourself in a kind of fun way, like just being playful and silly or like was there a message behind it? No, I actually, that year, I um, joined up. So I was working with the National Breast Cancer Foundation. So I signed on as an ambassador in the off-season, yeah, through a manager I had at the time. Uh, he got me to sign up for a charity. He said, mate, as an athlete, you, you have a voice, you have a profile, and you have a platform. It's really good to associate yourself with a charity. Mm. And, and an opportunity came up with National Breast Cancer Foundation. And then... I don't know where how that ended up in pink hair, but yeah. So <laughs> Wait, I was that's like, where well, we landed. <laughs> I think, and that's where we landed. So I think from memory, I was just kind of like, oh, cool. Well, you can be an ambassador for a charity like that, but how do you really want to make an impact? How mm. do you want to get people to say exactly as you said, fourteen years later? It's a, it was <laughs> iconic. Yeah. Because if I was just an ambassador that wore a t-shirt, I don't think I'd put my life on it it wouldn't have impacted it did people wouldn't be asking the question now um so that was that was exactly it I I kind of came up with this idea to do the pink hair I had the pink ski and board and the whole lot and and it got people asking the question which Mm. then related back or went back to National Breast Cancer Foundation and I was able to do some really cool things that year through Kellogg's made a donation of the charity so did a bunch of other sponsors of mine and and people as well we had a so it, it was a really cool... Was it uh, only one year that you did that? It was actually... Well, it was sort of like one year, the first year was a lot of pink. Then yep. the next year, I think I just had like the pink board and ski. Okay. And then the third year, it sort of like phased out to maybe just on my rash vest. I had the pink rashy and that was it. But definitely year one was like, bam, in own, the game. But you and only the, had pink hair for one year? One year, yeah. Shut up. I, I just have it in my mind that you had pink hair the entire time. Yeah, well, it's um, etched into everybody's brains forever. It felt like it was an eternity, but it was one year. <laughs> that's amazing. But that's that's incredible. Like what what an amazing impact you had for your charity work. What an amazing impact you had for your career. Like that's how I remember you as an athlete. Yeah. It's, I had some crazy stories like from that year, which is why I found it so funny. Like I can, I remember distinctly, um, like two years later, three years later, I was down at the Australian Open tennis mm. and I was with Hayley Badup and we were there doing just an appearance at the Australian Open. And we we had this lady come up and she was like, oh, I watched the Ironman Ironwoman racing. I love the guy with the pink hair. And I was like <laughs> sitting there like normal hair. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's pretty cool like this. And I looked at Hayley, I'm like, the guy with pink hair is more famous than me, Matt Poole, because that lady doesn't even realise that I was the guy with pink hair. So I was like... Well, that's, my, that's definitely when you know it's made an impact. It has. It made a massive impact. That's so funny. Yeah. I was, I was working both sides. I was able to really talk up the guy with pink hair as well when I was doing it on behalf of myself. <laughs> He's a legend. He's what a, a legend. Love that yeah. guy. <laughs> He's epic. Um, so life now, you've got two stepchildren and a brand new newborn. Newborn. How, what, is that, what is that like? It's... It's harder than racing, harder than being my athlete crew, that's for sure. No, it's really good. Um, we've got Wolf and Sass with seven and five. Sass is almost six, actually. They're awesome, really good young kids. So, um, yeah, since dating Tammy, it's been a really cool to sort of, I guess you go straight into the deep end. I went from being single mm. to in a relationship with Tammy with two kids. But it, it, it all came 
I want to say relatively easy because yeah, they were, they were really good kids and um, I loved it. And then, so that, and then we had Posey um, six weeks ago and now it's definitely such a good name, by the way, <laughs> Posey, Posey Rose Pool. So yeah, no, she's, she's the best. She's cute. I just waste hours and hours every day talking gibberish with her. I literally just sit her on my stomach and she, I don't know what she's saying. She's probably like, who is this guy in front of my face? I wish he'd just get out of here. And I'm like, yes, so cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talking baby language to her. I haven't literally translated. She's probably saying, dad, go away. But <laughs> yes. Very, very cute. And, um, yeah, I'm loving it. So it's awesome. Yeah. We've got, I'm on school drop-offs and pickups, and Tammy's just full-time with Barb and, and we're, we're making it happen. We're making it work. Again, I mean, that's like a whole nother layer of transition, right? Obviously to a lesser extent for for the man in the situation or the non-birthing partner, but for you, how it must be hard not to be able to help more, (laughs) I imagine. (laughs) Or maybe you're like, that's cool, man. I'm happy not to be able to do it. All my friends with with kids basically gave me that heads up. They're like, you will feel useless. Like, you know, the baby is just... Babies are a milk machine. So mm. like they're, they're just with mum full stop and all you can do is try and help and, and assist best possible. So literally I'm just sort of making sure that all the diapers are cleaned up. Mm. Tammy's got water. She's got food. She's fine. She's, yeah, she's not getting much sleep at all. She's getting a little bit better now, but certainly those first sort of four weeks, it was mm. very limited or broken sleep. And, um, yeah, so you, I, I'm just trying to sort of juggle and, and do that as best possible and, Again, I, I guess it sort of comes down to like when I sort of said before the silver lining and the therapy job falling through is that now I've got a lot more time to spend with my newborn time that I'll sort of, you know, you, you don't get back. So mm. it's almost like every I've, I've always been such a firm believer in everything happens for a reason and it either becomes aware immediately or sometimes it's not even until six months or 12 months down the track. But there's been so many situations, good and bad, where I'm like, I can't believe this is happening and then like, might be a week or a month or six months and I'm like oh shit that's actually like fallen into place perfectly because if that hadn't have happened there maybe this wouldn't have happened there so there's so many moments where things like that no no this is just another one where I was like oh my gosh I've just like retired from sport I've gone into work and then you know six months later I'm now effectively unemployed or, or not working yeah but the silver lining is I've got posy and you know maybe in six months from now if this side business gets up and running and I'm loving it, I'm enjoying it, I'm going really well and you've got Barb and you're like, this is actually perfect. This is a perfect sort of transition opportunity for, you know, something else to come along. And that probably ties back to when I was saying to you earlier, like you can't sort of sit there and have a pity party. You just mm. need to go, right, what am I going to do now? What did I learn from this? How can I be better? And and um, where to from here? And, and that's what I've sort of been doing the last week is just going, all right, apart from polishing my resume and things like that, but <laughs> which is still going to take a while. I'm, I'm still like at the second sentence where it says at hotmail.com. Yeah. Now that's got to be changed. But still working that You're out. Like, You're like on my to-do list, change yeah. to Gmail. Yes. <laughs> but because careers are forever, aren't they? Like mm. this big portion of your life. And it's not something that you want to do every year or two years. Um, so when I find a job or a career that I go into next, I want to be happy that I, if I'm to do that for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, then I'm good with that. Because yeah. I, yeah, my biggest fear is from being an athlete too is that I'm so moulded into 
being, you know, have a good, fun lifestyle. And I, you know, I'm only passionate about things that I enjoy doing sort of thing, like no disrespect because they make a lot of money. But like, I don't think I, in my lifetime, I was ever cut out to say, be an accountant or something like mm-hmm. that, where it's just, you know, at a desk, long hours and things like that. I just don't think I'm capable of doing that. So no. if I to jump into a career and I'm just like after a month, like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. It's not me and I don't like that. I'm just kind of going to be in the same position that I'm in now. So mm. yeah, I, I found I was a massive commitment phobe <laughs> after swimming, like, cause it was something I was so passionate about. I absolutely loved it. And then I was just like, I don't know what I want to like commit myself and my energy to because, oh, it's it's scary to be out, like to have to sit at a desk for eight hours a day or longer. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound fun to me. I know the the real world of like, oh, you just used to wake up, I get swim training, come home, have breakfast, go have coffee with friends, then go to the gym or go running and training in the afternoon. It was such a like, I, I became really complacent, to be honest, mm. in the last probably, I want to say two, three years of my career. I definitely didn't train as hard as I did in the, the middle or you know, those really hungry, motivated years of your career. The last two or three, I was sort of using age and experience and the surf and tactics like that versus just that sort of like having a huge base from pre-season and then going in the summer just going on. I mean to me that sounds like you worked smarter not harder. <laughs> That's what I used to tell everybody when I'd be sleeping in my coach like where are you? I'm like I'm working smarter not harder. Exactly. And you're not working at all and I'm like damn it. Touche. <laughs> so I, I have a question that I love to ask all of my guests on on the podcast. So there's obviously, you know, those moments that are, you know, any race win that I imagine that you had, which are high profile, very prominent, very easy to spot that you can be proud of. Are there any moments from your career that you go, that's, you know, a lot more quiet. It's like maybe nobody else is around, but you kind of have that feeling that I'm like, I'm so proud of, of that moment. I'm so proud of that choice or decision that I've made or that experience. Yeah, um, I think probably the well, the two highlights of my career, I guess, that are different to the third completely. Uh, 2017, I won uh, the Nutrigrain Ironman series, which was just like my bucket list goal of something that I, I came so close so many years earlier um, and would fall short in second and third overall in the series. And I finally won in 2017. So that was definitely my highlight. The last race, winning at Summer Surf was probably the most special and um, sort of moment. But I guess when you sort of on the completely other side of that coin, what was the probably the most sort of defining moment or, or something that really made me proud would have been actually towards the end of my career in 2019 season, I actually had one of the best pre-seasons I'd ever had. I didn't get sick, no injuries, anything. And I got like a really good training block in. I got pretty much, I would say, the, the fittest I'd almost ever been in my career. Uh, the first round of that series, they'd actually combined the cooling out of gold as round one. And that was an event that I hated doing because it was just an endurance event. It was four hours. Ugh. And I just didn't, yeah, I was like, <laughs> this is not. And it's not even enjoyable. It's not even in the surf or waves. It's just like an out the back grind. It's horrible. So a lot of respect to Ali and Kane that have dominated it forever. But I just, yeah, it was not my event. 
And so I actually went into it that year really, really fit, knowing that it was the first event. And I ended up getting second behind Matt Bevelacco. We actually ended up in pretty close to a sprint finish or one of the closest, I think, men's finishes ever in the last sort of, or certainly in the last 10, 15 years. We were like maybe 20 seconds apart. So we were in the last run leg and he just gassed away and I was exhausted. But I was still really, really proud and happy with that. I went into the second round at Burley and I had, the best race I've ever had of my career without a doubt. And I ended up winning by like, I think a minute and 40 seconds in a pretty traditional sort of race. And that was really special. And like, this was all a reflection of sort of everything right I'd done that off season. And then I went into the third, we're going into the third race at Surfers Paradise. And that week on the Tuesday, I went to gym and then my knee started getting really, really hot. I've had lots of sort of knee problems. And I was like, oh, this is really weird. And it started to swell up and get really inflamed. And I freaked out and I went to the hospital and they sort of said, it's fine, it's fine. Go home, relax. I think they gave me antibiotics and they said it was all good. Long story short, I guess, I went back later because it just completely blew up. I couldn't even bend my knee. Um, I was sending photos to my dad and they flew straight up there because it was going up my leg. And so I went in and they said that I had a staph infection. I picked up a staph infection in my knee. And that was on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. They actually took me in to surgery. I had to go and get surgery the next morning. So I went from being 100% fit and healthy on the Tuesday. Wednesday went to the gym. By Wednesday night, my leg had blown up. Thursday morning, I was in surgery. And I was just like so blown away. I was just like, that's one of those times, I guess, in sport or as a career where I'm like, I feel so, so like hard done by Mm. in this situation because it wasn't anything stupid or silly or anything I'd done wrong for lack of preparation or anything. It's just something completely out of my control that sort of like has just ruined my season or or, um, just basically completely cut in half my season. Mm. So I ended up getting surgery on the Thursday. I got 28 stitches down the front of my knee and I asked them to glue it shut and tape it because I said if, I can, I want to try and race on the Saturday. Wow. And I like, the surgeon was like, it's really stupid, but <laughs> I'll glue it and I'll seal it. That sounds stupid. Yeah. Let's sign yeah. here this waiver. <laughs> yeah. He, was, he literally said to me, he goes, um, look, that's really stupid, but you can't do anything dangerous or bad. He goes, it'll be really painful and bad. You're more than likely going to tear all the stitches open, but it's not like you're going to lose a leg or anything mm. severe. So I was like, apart from the pain and, yeah, just whatever else, that's kind of it. So the Friday I remember waking up and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to race. Like I was in so much pain just to even sort of walk or even, yeah. And then the Saturday morning I actually woke up and I kind of felt slightly better. And as weird as it sounds, I was not moving very well at all. I was kind of like I could sort of like jog a little bit. Mm. But as you can imagine, 28 stitches down the front of your kneecap was very uncomfortable. I jumped in the water, was sort of swimming around. As weird as that sounds, swimming, I know swimmers need to be in the pool, they need a big kick, but in the surf we kind of roll a lot with our shoulders. I was like, I can actually swim, not too bad. I kind of like the way I technically swim through the surf, not too bad. Ski paddling, completely fine because it's all upper body and Mm -hmm. twist. It doesn't affect my Board paddling was a nightmare, obviously, because we normally paddle on our knees. That was completely out. There's no way I could paddle on my knees but I could lay on my stomach and paddle and then running was obviously also super, super painful. So I got my physio, my gym coach. So Brad Beer from Pogo and, and um, Wade came down 
and they gave me a lot of painkillers. They <laughs> taped up my knee. They taped up my knee. I sort of did the warm-up. SLSA found out the Ironman series. They had to make me go get a medical license or from the surgeon to sign off and say that he said it's fine that I do this. They weren't going to let me race. Wow. And I ended up racing. So on the Saturday, and I literally had no intentions other than sort of try and just keep my series alive, you know, mm-hmm. keep myself in the, in the hunt. Um, after the first three races, I was in fifth spot overall and I was like, wow, this, like I might have just done something incredible here. Um, I forgot to mention that the whole time my leg was fine, but it was bleeding under the stitches through the tape. Cool. When we caught, got to get up for the first race, I can remember my best mate, Matt Bevelacca, was sitting beside me. He's like, I remember he looked at me, he goes, man, you're crazy, but good luck. And I was like, <laughs> as I went to get up, before the first race, I just felt all the stitches go bang, 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 and popped open. They, what had happened was the blood had made the skin really soft. The stitches themselves didn't break. The skin that, that was holding the things to because of all the blood that was in there had pulled apart and snapped. So I was like, yeah, so they put more tape on me and I ended up racing. So it was really, really painful. But I got into the last race and I was in fear. And then did the last race, and that was the one final position in that race. It was a handicap start of where you finish. And I ended up just completely fell apart. I ended up like 17th, like third last, fourth last, whatever, which was really, really upsetting because it was kind of the whole point of the day had failed because mm. 17th was a throwaway result anyway. All I had to do was get like a, a 6th to a 10th and I would have been absolutely over the moon. I was so close to doing that. I just had to hold on for that last race. But just obviously everything that had happened the entire last three, four days just took its toll. And, um, yeah, so I finished 17th. Then on top of that, it got infected. So I actually had to go back to surgery and got it. They they did a full clean out and re-stitched it on the Monday morning. So we raced Saturday. And then I got surgery again on the Monday, re-stitched it, and then he told me, yeah, you can't do it again. So... We Don't do that place. again. <laughs> like, you're not going again. So I had time off before the next round. It wasn't until we had Christmas, New Year break. We had like a month. So I, I got back to the back end of the season. But I was okay, raced okay, but not great. I ended up finishing third overall in that series, second on a countback actually, and then I was only four points behind with the 17th. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was a really sort of bittersweet sort of um, experience. When you sort of talk about like actually everything went wrong from the surgery to the result, to the two surgeries and whatever. But I think the biggest thing for me was sort of that sort of like leave no stone unturned or, you know, I was prepared to sort of, you know, die on the line sort of thing Mm. to to have a go rather than sort of sit back and go, oh, well, that didn't happen. So I think I was really sort of proud of um, being able to block everything out and just sort of, I don't want to swear, but say, you know, effort, I'm going to have a crack. So, and I did that pretty much entirely only did that because I was leading the series up until that point. I had a really good sort of lead on the series with the first two rounds. If I was in sort of fifth or sixth, there's no way I would have, I would have set up right off the rest of the season and and whatever else, but because I was so sort of driven or or keen to try and win a second title, that was what I was sort of prepared to do. But yeah, so that's probably that side of the story. It's a bit of a long winded story, but. No, that was amazing. And also terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back at it now, like, and I'm really, really bad with blood. Like, I like would never have been in an ambulance in Ambos or anything like that. Horrible. So, looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, you're you were stupid. You're an idiot. But, but also amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, but it was a, it was a cool story. <laughs> I mean, it's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Please don't do that again. But amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll not do that again. That's for sure. Wow. I mean, that's without a doubt, hands down, the best pride moment that I've yeah. had on the podcast. I've actually got, yeah, I'll have to send you some of the photos and videos from surgery and stuff. Please after. do. I mean, yeah. I'm, you know, creeped out by it, but also I can't not look away. Like I can't yeah. not yeah. look. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was cool looking back on it and just sort of seeing the timeline of some of the stories and stuff. Even literally on the Friday morning, I had the OT from the hospital sort of come up and it, I, it was a weird story, but I ended up knowing him. He's a mate of ours. And he came up to check on me to sign me out because I was like, I need to get out of the hospital. I'm trying to race tomorrow. And he was walking along with me and we had friend of friends. And I was like, oh, do you think I'll be able to race? And I remember him walking along going, oh, no, absolutely not. You're an idiot. Because <laughs> I was walking along literally in the hallway of the hospital and I had to prove to him that I could walk to leave. And he's like, oh, I'll so-. he goes, I'll sign you out. That's fine. But you're an idiot. <laughs> My my final question. I have one last question. I mean, we've kind of probably already touched on it a little bit. I mean, I think this this conversation has been so valuable for so many athletes who are on that precipice of retiring or are just recently retired. But what advice do you give to you know people in that mindset who are thinking about it? who maybe haven't quite retired just yet, what what kind of advice would you give to to athletes in that moment? Definitely. Um, I mean, definitely enjoy your time in, in the spotlight and, and the final moments of, of your career because you won't realise until once it's gone or once you're done, um, and, and even still now, I, I don't think it's fully sunk in how incredible, how special that final ch- chapter of your life will be. I could be wrong, but I don't think anything will ever replace sort of the, the highs or lows or experiences of, of being a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you'll certainly cherish those for whatever happens in life after. But I think the biggest thing is to surround yourself with really good, influential people, people that are positive energy and they want to help you and they've got the best of intentions and yeah, through your career, you would have met and made so many important connections. You need to actually sit down and take time to establish and work out who they are, find those good people. And, and you'd be surprised. They will all, I guarantee if they're the right people, they will all be more than willing to, you know, pick up that phone, respond to that email, open the door for you anywhere you need and, and give you help and guidance. And I can honestly say that you will need it, definitely. It's not something that you can go and do on your own. As an athlete, we feel like we can do what, anything we want on our own. Yeah. When you go into this next chapter, you will realise it's the people around you that are going to help you most. And you just need to be aware of your strengths, weaknesses, what you can develop, what you need to work on, things like that. But, yeah, so I, I would say overall just surround yourself with good people and don't be afraid to ask the dumbest questions because I have the dumbest questions. So yeah, yeah. No one can have dumber <laughs> questions than me. <laughs> yeah, just know that. Matt, that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It's been such an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you about your career and, and your experiences in this new phase of life that you're in. It's just, yeah, I, I just wish you all the very best with your side hustles and I can't wait to see where, where it all takes you. 
Yeah, thank you. No, it's been awesome. I've re- really enjoyed it. So thanks for this. I love today's chat. That was so, I don't know, I felt like really practical ideas around getting yourself ready for that time after sport and understanding. I, I mean, I think it's something that everybody can do at some stage in their in their life, whether they are an elite athlete or not, but to actually take that time to reflect on the things that you've done and how you can apply that into your life now and potentially into future roles. I think that was so powerful what Matt was talking about there and and certainly one of the most (laughs) intense and amazing proud uh, moments uh, I've ever (laughs) had the pleasure of listening to. He, yeah, he was absolutely uh, fantastic and I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed being part of it. As always, if you, if you do like these podcasts, if you do like these conversations, would you mind uh, liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing? That actually really helps all that glitters get into the podcast charts and, and has the potential to reach more listeners and enables me to be able to bring these conversations to you. So as always, slide into my DMs at All That Glitters Pod for ideas around people you'd like me to chat to. Have a great couple of weeks and I'll chat to you soon.